excited to have one of my heroes here today. <laughs> I have with me Amanda Lannert, who is the CEO of the Jelly Vision, a software company here in Chicago. And Amanda and I have known each other for, I feel like, a good amount of time. It, it feels like it's been a long time. Like, we've been through a lot together. I, just, I feel like just when you started, I met you before. So it's been, it's been many iterations. So even if it hasn't been like 10 years, yes. it's been a lot of life. Yes, you've time. seen me through it all. Yes. And there have been plenty of times I have come to Amanda in moments of crisis, in moments of big decisions. Of growth, and expansion, <laughs> growth. world domination. And thank you. Thank you. And so it's only fitting that I have Amanda here today to ask her this one question I've been asking a lot of leaders, which is, what's one thing or several things that you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? So I knew the question in advance, which in fact for me makes it harder, not easier, because then you get to agonize over all the possible things you can say. And so I did what I often do, which is I sat down with some trusted counsel at Jelly Vision and I said, what's the one thing I wish I had learned earlier in my career? And we started talking about the many lessons I, I repeatedly talk about. But the one I wish I had learned, and I say over and over that I wish I had remembered, is to trust my gut when it comes to hiring and staffing and promoting and believing in people. Um, there's such temptation at all stages of conquering newness to lean on the resume, to lean on the mm. sense of history, yes. rather than to take the leap of faith on the bet of potential or a DNA. And every single one of my big hiring mistakes, every single one of the painful non-fits has been where yep. I waited the resume, the past perspective yep. over the DNA, the future potential perspective. And the reason why I think that that's so important is, you know, your, your, your history is what you have done. And what I want to know is what can you do in circumstances that certainly will never be exactly what you've done before. To me, being an adaptive self-learner, a figure-it-outer, is mm -hmm. more important than saying I've had these 10 or 15 really special experiences because technology changes, business changes, political climates change, people change. And it's all about how can you deal with the new versus really ever expecting someone to sort of crank through and iterate and do the same thing over and over. So getting back to the one thing I wish I learned earlier and wish I'd held myself accountable to mm. once I learned it is going with my gut and trusting the potential rather than documented history when it comes to placing people in positions of influence. That's hard. It's easier said than done. I mean, having... especially when it's new, especially when it's higher stakes, yes. especially when, you know, you've got a lot of people trusting in you and counting on yep. you to get it right. But again and again and again, I mean, Jelly Vision is run by a lot of first timers. Mm -hmm. And my career is based on people giving chances to first timers. I mean, mm -hmm. my whole career is uh, the lucky break, the lucky break. Hmm. And it's amazing what people can do with the will and the ability to sit down and try to figure stuff out. And, mm -hmm. you know, but Google's pretty awesome in terms of providing information. So that to me is the one thing I wanted to talk about. I'd say that I'm glad that you did because I think the box that is hiring, right, that everyone feels like, oh, I'm trying to figure out what's in the box. I'm trying to figure out exactly how do I find that great, amazing person who's just mm -hmm. going to change our team dynamic. You know, everyone has, oh, yeah, do this, do this, do this. And I think it becomes so easy and so tempting to rely on just, oh, yeah, the resume. This is what people have done. And I think even some people might argue 
and say, well, Amanda, isn't what people have done, isn't that the only thing you can judge them off of? Or how do you, how do you even measure potential? Like, what are you looking at? Like, when you talk to me about that, are you, are you saying, like, just a feeling? Like, how do you actually identify what that potential is, right? So I do a lot of backwards-looking interviewing, for sure. Yep. Talk to me about what your goals were here. What was hard? What are you proud of? What went well? A lot of past-looking stuff. But then I also like to ask sort of present-tense case study-type mm. questions. Okay. And we also have a component of auditioning, where everyone at Jellyvision has to go through um, a process of not just talking about your talent, but actually showing it in sort of a, you know, it's not exactly consulting, it's removed and redacted, but it still gives you a sense of the work and gives us a sense of how you work, uh, which I think is incredibly valuable to get a sense of not just what have you talked about, because in the past, you could have been an incredible contributor on a terrible team. Or you could have been the dead weight on a high performing team. And it's really hard to tell when you're just looking at the resume. So we like to give people a chance to show their work and also show the humility that goes with showing your work, which is, you know, mm-hmm. sort of us self-selecting and allowing people to self-select out. But giving people a chance to show work is a great way and talk about what would you do in sort of hypotheticals um, lets me see people's sort of work instincts. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it can be said that those interviews are better suited for extroverts than introverts or for people like to think on their feet versus people who are more analytical and like a little bit of time to think it through. So we try to adjust and adapt and allow for space for thinking. Mm -hmm. But I will, I will in every interview ask a doozy question or two that's kind of how would you handle this? Mm -hmm. And it's something you hopefully wouldn't have seen coming. Right. In terms of perhaps outside pressures that you might get, whether it's from, you know, I don't know if you do hiring committees or maybe other members of your leadership staff. I mean, it sounds like you've made decisions where you've gone against your gut. What were the pressures that you were susceptible to in those moments that you wish you'd been like, yeah, I shouldn't have listened to that? Was it yourself? Was it outside, you know, pressures? Was it sort of pressure, you know, in terms of company growth or, or where you wanted to be? You know, what advice do you have for folks who might be feeling similar pressures? I think it is important to realize companies, as they grow, they change. And you used to have direct reporting relationships. And now you're hiring someone who works for you as a CEO, but also people work with them. And so it's like many layers of sandwiches yes. uh, where, where people who are very important in the reporting chain might have very different needs and different perspectives. And you have to sort of balance, you know, accommodating for a fit with the reporting structure but also creating a really tight, cohesive fit with an executive team. Right. And a lot of times teams get their own culture and it's right. they're quite different and quite right. unique. So I think that it's finding a balance act of not subverting mm-hmm. your style, your work style, your team style at the expense of you know accommodating another team, but really trying to find a balance. So it's not all on either side um, right. blending. And and you always when when you have high stakes, when you have four hundred people counting on you I was just about to, say. to pay <laughs> their bills and, and you know to be you know incredibly respectful of the time and trust that they're giving you, right. you don't want to fail. Yep. You don't want to let them down. You don't want to take longer to get to the finish line than, you know, your personal record. All of those things contribute to how can you mitigate risk, great looking resumes, you know, kind of the pat answer for a way to mitigate risk. It's it's tough to place a bet on a, on a barely 30-year-old VP of sales. And yep. that's what Jelly Vision did. And boy, is it bearing fruit. But you're sitting in that yeah. moment. It's like, oh, I hope this crazy call works. <laughs> yeah, It's really amazing when it does. But it, it feels like a riskier decision than working with someone who perhaps has 20 years of mentionable experience and track record. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's it's so, so difficult. Uh, again, just like you were saying, when the stakes are high. So I'm going to flip the question or my next question just a, a little bit for maybe, you know, folks who are aspiring leaders, right, mm-hmm. maybe are in between jobs right now looking for that next opportunity. And they see, oh, wow, you know, Jelly Vision's hiring for this VP of sales position, but maybe I haven't you know, had the track record they ideally would like to see to, to folks who are maybe in that position where they're looking for that opportunity. They know they don't have the track record. What do you suggest to them to show people like you, CEOs of companies with 400 plus people, right? You know, growing, extremely successful. What do you say to them where they think, you know, where you think, okay, this person, they've got it. Yeah. Here's what I would say to you if you want a job at Jellyvision, <laughs> don't be boring. It feels like companies hire people, but in fact, People hire people and the people hiring people are looking for one person to stand out and say, I am going to contribute. I'm going to be a pleasure to work with. I'm going to be no drama. I'm going to have integrity. And there's nothing more refreshing than seeing someone who takes a chance to be incredibly human in a cover letter or an outreach to kind of put themselves forward. The standard you know, boring resume is that you can't tell who you're going to spend the vast majority of your waking hours with. So to me, I'd always say, remember, it is people connecting with people. You are, you know, in no small part doing an ad about yourself, which feels really kind of weird, I imagine, to many. But this is the chance to tell you what makes you tick. Things like I work hard, I have integrity, I'm eager to learn, and I bring baked goods to the office once a week. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that people are like, that is someone I want to work with. So put not just your skills and experience, but put yourself into your letter. And don't be afraid to not be boring because by and large, recruiters are bored. Uh, People play it safe. They commoditize themselves into just a, a bullet point list of, of skills and experience. And that's just not what it's about. It's about people and how they interact and what they value and what they won't tolerate and trying to find people who will amplify your cultural values. So take a risk and tell your story and be honest about what you're looking for and how you like to work. Because funny enough, if you don't get a callback, they may be saving you a lot of time and pain. So two-way fit's really important. So the better you know who you are and can tell that story, the more likely you are to find a fit with a company who really values it, values you. I think that's invaluable advice. That's incredible. Yeah. It's awesome. more boring. fun as a recruiter. You're like, oh, this well, is interesting. Right. We need to talk to this person. Right. And, and, you know, it seems so obvious, you know, people are hiring people, not companies, but it's, it's so true. I mean, you get thousands of applications, I'm sure, for a single position. We do. So, we yeah. do. There's some of them. It's just, it's a deluge. So we just thank right. you for standing out. Thank you for right. jumping out of the paper because all we're looking for is the one or two or it can be up to 20 people depending on the role, but We are looking for those people and you are looking for a home that will respect and value you. So let's be honest. Mm. That's the best way to find a two-way fit. No, I think that's amazing. And then I also just love the encouragement from the employer side and for all of us as CEOs and leaders to take that chance, right? You know, I got to the position where I am because, you know, Jason and David of Basecamp, they took a chance on me. Absolutely. And so um, I think that's such wise encouragement to listen to your gut and to trust in people's potential. Yeah, I'd say that similarly, my career, I'm constantly in a situation where I've never been a CEO of a 500 person company before, but I will next year. It's coming. So (laughs) I got to learn. I got to listen to mentors. I got to read a ton. I got to study. I got to think about what's working and what's not working and be incredibly intentional. But what I don't need to do is have run a 500 person company before I'm going to figure it out. And that's that's kind of the ethos I'm trying to build is the ability to figure stuff out and just be human. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here, Amanda. My pleasure. Great to see you. (laughs) Likewise. Thanks.